This is Certified, the OCS Prep Podcast. I'm Alexis. And I'm Amanda. And we're here to help you prepare for your OCS exam. Hi, everyone. I just wanted to remind you that Amanda and I have created a Patreon page for the podcast this year. If you become a Patreon member, you can gain early access to episodes without ads, access to bonus episodes, a monthly newsletter with study tips, and more. You can join by visiting www.patreon.com slash certified OCS prep podcast. Also, if you're using MedBridge to study, you can get $175 off your yearly membership by using our affiliate code certified. If you have any questions about MedBridge or Patreon, you can email us at certifiedocspodcast at gmail.com. Hi, everyone. Today, we're going to wrap up our low back pain um, subseries within the prep podcast, and we're going to talk about low back pain with cognitive or affective tendencies and generalized pain. So the presentation in these categories is not going to follow those range of motion or movement system reproduction patterns at those initial mid or end ranges that we've seen in those other categories. And that's because those are those findings are reflective of tissue stress, inflammation and irritability, which correlates to some of those other subcategories doesn't necessarily correlate to this category. So you won't see that nice consistent pattern. The intervention strategies in this group should really focus on addressing the cognitive and affective tendencies and the pain-related behaviors through patient education and counseling. There should be a minimal emphasis on normalizing movement and their pain relations. So you don't want to make the connection for patients more than you have to about their movement pattern and how that correlates to their pain. So the first group is the acute or subacute low back pain with related cognitive or affective tendencies. The presentation here is going to be acute or subacute low back pain and or low back related lower extremity pain. And they're going to have the presence of one or more of the following. Two positive responses to the primary care evaluation of mental disorders for depressive symptoms, which we'll talk about in a couple minutes. They're going to have high scores on their FABQ and behavior consistent with an individual who has excessive anxiety or fear. They're also going to have high scores on the pain catastrophizing scale and the cognitive processes consistent with individuals with high helplessness, rumination, or pessimism about their low back pain. The chronic low back pain with related generalized pain presentation is going to be low back and or low back related lower extremity pain with symptom duration of more than three months. They're going to have generalized pain not consistent with other impairment-based classification criteria presented in these clinical guidelines. And then they're going to have... um, a presence of depression, fear avoidance beliefs, and or pain catastrophizing. Imaging. Imaging is highly discouraged, actually, in this population. There's very rarely an indication for it. The only time it would be indicated would be based on findings in a red flag screening. Imaging in this population can specifically contribute to a lesser sense of well-being because there's not a significant change in the diagnostic utility based on routine imaging. So essentially what that means is if they, if the x-ray comes back, what we would all consider normal as therapists, meaning moderate degenerative change or whatnot, there's not a lot of utility in that. And these patients are going to perseverate on something being wrong and it may lessen their sense of well-being and their overall prognosis and improvement. 
Um, there's not a lot of clinical significance for imaging, like I said. However, some functional MRIs have been utilized in current research, so this is not at a clinical level, but at a research level, that suggests altered brain activity in some regions responsible for negative emotions in patients with high, highly rated pain for sustained periods of time. So just something that's kind of an interesting clinical pearl there, um, the, some of the newer research coming out using functional MRIs in these folks. The examination is not going to be consistent like what we've seen in these other categories. There's not a set outline of suggested measures, but rather an increased focus on utilizing your clinical judgment based on someone's clinical presentation. So likely you still want to assess range of motion, in the con- but it needs to be in the context of functional movements. So, you know, maybe you don't have someone just stop and go through all different planes of movement, but maybe more so observe them pick something up, observe them do a squat. Um, climb stairs, what have you. You want to check their hip and thoracic mobility, looking at their lower extremity strength, again, in that functional context, probably. Maybe you check their segmental mobility. And there's nothing to say that repeated movements or neural tension testing can't be performed in these folks. Um, I think, again, just have to use clinical judgment if there are any ridiculous symptoms. The most important measures in this population to suggest are what they consider the mental impairment measures. And that's going to allow for the determination of potential psychosocial or psychological influences in their care. So the measure should include screening for depressive symptoms, fear avoidant behaviors, and pain catastrophizing. So depressive symptoms are associated with increased pain intensity, perceived disability, and an increase in medication use and rates of unemployment in patients with low back pain. So that primary care evaluation of mental disorders patient questionnaire that we talked about a minute ago is essentially the two most common questions to be asking patients. And it's during the past month, have you been bothered by feeling down, depressed, or hopeless? And during the past month, have you often been bothered by little interest or pleasure in doing things? Fear avoidance beliefs are composite measures of patients' fear and how it may affect their physical activity and their work activities. Um, The FABQ, which we talked about in the intro episode, has two subscores. It has a physical subscore and a work subscore. Those can be scored separately, and I would just be aware of where your cutoff scores are for both of those subscales. Pain catastrophizing is the belief that the pain and the situation the patient is in is going to result in the worst possible outcome. In some cases, it might be appropriate to use the Obrero Musculoskeletal Pain Questionnaire or the Start Back Screening School screening tool because those are going to assess for those psychosocial distresses. Um, if you're unfamiliar with either of those tools, they are outlined in the clinical prediction guideline. Um, and I know the Start Back Screening Tool is outlining current concepts. So again, those would be two good resources to review those any further. Interventions and treatment in this category. There's a recommendation against utilizing intermittent or static lumbar traction in patients with chronic low back pain when there's not a presence of radicular pain. Patient education is strongly recommended with level B evidence to encourage active pain coping strategies that decrease fear and catastrophizing, facilitate a return to normal activities, Again, minimizing that pathoanatomic diagnosis and explaining the neuroscience of pain perception and the importance of involvement in activity levels and not just pain relief. Figure 11 in the current concepts book, I think, is a really helpful kind of chart um, graph type situation 
to review and understand the perception of back pain and how to explain that to patients. There's tons of resources out there too for the neuroscience approach. Um, I've used a lot of the Adrian Lau stuff personally, and I think that works pretty well for patients. But basically what that does is it takes pain and turns a lot of it into an analogy that patients can comprehend. Pain's a very abstract concept for patients. It's something they experience personally, but they don't have a relative understanding of how other people experience it and what it means. And so some of those analogies can be helpful in these situations, especially because initially these patients can be somewhat closed off to this kind of treatment. You know, they're looking for a fix. They, you know, they're, they need help and they are often turned off by the fact that sometimes the help is education. But essentially what you really want to do is reduce their pain-centered behaviors, reduce their avoidant behaviors, and reduce those pain catastrophizing behaviors. I think another important thing that I know is mentioned in current concepts is explaining the good pain versus the bad pain and the anticipated reactions for the interventions you're going to give them to some extent. Not enough to kind of jade their opinion or make them nervous to move, but, you know, explaining to them this should feel this way. If you're feeling this, I want to know. Cognitive behavior therapy is strongly encouraged. And again, discussing that physiology of pain with your parents, the, with your patients, the concepts of neuroplasticity and central sensitization, because once patients understand the reasons for pain, it can often reduce their negative feelings about their symptoms. And with a level A recommendation, so the strongest recommended type of intervention for this population is that moderate to high intensity exercise for patients with chronic low back pain without generalized pain and progressive lower intensity submaximal fitness and endurance interventions for patients with chronic low back pain with the generalized pain. So again, you have moderate to high intensity without the generalized pain population and the lower intensity submax exercise for the chronic low back pain with the generalized pain. It's important to also put an emphasis on aerobic conditioning and exercise. And that's primarily because the subpopulation of patients is often very deconditioned because they've been dealing with their pain for such a long period of time. So again, that this subcategory isn't going to have the same nice, neat outline and clinical findings that we're looking for in some of those other subgroups. Um, but I think the biggest thing to note in here is what assessments are helpful in terms of the education that would then need to be provided as an intervention. Alexis, do you have anything to add on this group? Um, I think just revisiting uh, the imaging, and I know we've talked about this in previous episodes, you know, I think it's always important to validate their concerns, um, you know, and obviously you don't want to like throw that out the window, but also educate them on, you know, it doesn't change. I mean, you have like two situations here. So there's the patient who comes to you and doesn't understand why they didn't get an MRI before PT. Um, and so then you have to explain to them, okay, well, MRIs often show X, Y, and Z. Some of these things are normal. They may not be the pain generator. So it's not going to change my plan of care depending on the patient, right? So this is where you really have to listen to what the patient is telling you um, to figure out where to go with your education. So that's one route. You know, another route is just explaining, I, I really watch you move. And depending on how you move and what your goals are, that's what we're going to focus on. Um, and if you're not making progress, then we're going to refer you for imaging. Like I always tell patients, I'll refer you for, Im for imaging if it seems appropriate after, you know, my full screening or after, um, you know, we try, we really give this a, a good attempt with physical therapy because I think sometimes, um, 
people really get wrapped up in that imaging. Like they feel like they need it. Um, I don't know if that's been your experience, Amanda, but I've had so many people that get so wrapped up in wanting to have the imaging. So you have to find a way to validate their concerns, but still educate them. Absolutely. I find the same thing. And I think that's one of the most powerful things, you know, in gaining respect you can do as a therapist is if you can set that tone from the first visit, you can really get them to buy into your treatment plan. Mm -hmm. And if they can get on board, then usually this can be successful. And like I said, there's a lot of resources out there about educate. You know, I will often cite articles, some of the research articles out there to patients like, look, this is the percentage of patients that have no pain Mm -hmm. that have findings on imaging. This right. is the percentage of patients in your age group that that have imaging findings and have pain. You know what I mean? If you right. can correlate some of those things with them, they can understand that, oh, you know, I'm not alone. Right. And these chronic patients, pain patients, it, it gets a little difficult because pain is so complex and it's so multifaceted. And we, I think, just don't fully understand um we definitely don't understand everything there is to know about pain and the experience of pain and all the different um, things that can play into that, whether it has to do with daily stress or, um, you know, lack of sleep, nutrition, comorbidities, like all these different things can affect the way that pain is perceived trauma, past experiences. And so I think we always have to keep in mind that, you know, your first patient of the day and your fourth patient of the day, they both might have chronic back pain, but depending on so many other things, they might need completely different treatment approaches. It's so important that we take those extra things into consideration. Right. And I think especially like Alexis just said in in this category specifically, really being cognitive, you as a therapist, where the patient's at and meeting them where they are. And, you know, they've been probably to so many doctors and doctors to some patients seem not human. You know, they seem Mm -hmm. like this authoritative type thing that's just telling them what to do and where to go and who to see. And so sometimes just pausing and looking at the patient and saying, you know, there's a lot we don't know about pain, like Alexis just said. And, you know, I may not be able to take all of your pain away, but my goal would be like, hey, let's let's work on the things here that could at least be contributing. So even if we can get your pain in half. Or, hey, maybe you feel more flexible so you can do a little bit more before you have pain. That kind of a thing. Sometimes just getting them to understand what the role of PT is important. Because like Alexa said, I think sometimes these patients come in kind of guns a-blazing because they don't understand why they're at PT when mm-hmm. they have so much pain. Well, and the other thing that you mentioned that I think is really important to keep in mind, too, is asking them about their function rather than their pain. So I have... Right you know, worked places where they want their pain every single visit to be documented, what their pain level is. And you create this association when the patient walks in the door where they automatically tell you how much pain they're in or they're automatically thinking about their pain. And again, we know there's this cognitive thing going on with pain. It's so much more than just this physical tissue thing. So let's not ask the patient the moment they walk in the door what's your pain level? And they're automatically, their brain is thinking about their pain and that's all they can focus on. And they didn't even get a chance to tell you that they walked, you know, 10 minutes longer yesterday before they felt like they needed a rest um, or whatever it might be. So I think that's a really important point that unfortunately often gets missed too in the clinic is we, we want to get that pain number and see where they're at that day. But is pain really the most important thing to be assessing. 
Agreed. I totally agree. Again, like we said, there's a lot of top, there's a lot of resources on those topics specifically. Um, this is an area that if you were going to read research articles to study for this test, I might encourage you to pull out some of the newer ones and just glance through them and get the general trends. But this is a highly researched area right now. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's, it's perpetually changing. Absolutely. Um, but other than that, yeah. um, if you have any questions about this or questions about resources, please don't hesitate to email us. And that kind of wraps up our back pain stuff. So what we're going to move into next is some of the SI stuff, which is not an area we had touched on last season. So it's something we're looking forward to kind of diving into. Again, it's another area that's important on this test and I think often a missed area. Yep, so absolutely. Alexis is going to help lead us through that. Cool. Awesome. Thank you so much. Take care. Yep. Thanks. Thank you.